If you got scripture, pull it out. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. And I hope my prayer this morning, as, as you go to Luke 12 and as we continue in our parable series this morning, now we're going to be walking into some of Jesus' teachings today that are difficult for us, particularly as American Christians, to be faithful in. And this is just as we always talk about this issue, whenever we bring it up, we want to recognize that the culture we grew up in has uh, given us many opportunities and gifts to be great disciples of Jesus, and yet it also has given us a couple of weaknesses in the way that we've been trained and conditioned and raised. And this morning, as we look at Jesus' words in Luke 12, this is one of those areas of American discipleship that we struggle with and that can oftentimes prove to be so challenging for us this morning. And so my prayer as I was working on the sermon over the last week or two, and my prayer is that as we engage in God's word this morning, that we'd be hungry to be challenged. And so my prayer is that you, that as you come here this morning on Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, we're all looking forward to the party that you're going to go to and watching the game and eating good snacks and food, and that's great. But man, my prayer is that we would not miss out this morning on how the Lord wants to meet us and shape us and grow us and challenge us as his people. And so I pray that you're hungry for the Lord's word this morning. Uh, and with that, let's look, let's look at Luke chapter 12 together. We're going to start off in verse 13. And scripture says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we encounter you in your word this morning, Lord, as we worship you through not just the reading and the teaching of your word, but in our obedience to it, I pray that your spirit would do business with our hearts. Lord, that, that if there be ways in our lives where we are not being faithful to you, I pray that you would call us out on that. I pray that you would show us a better way of living and that we as your people would not just look into your word and walk away unchanged, but that we would look into it, stare intently, and that we would come away as changed people because of it. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the opportunity this morning. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. And all God's people pray. Amen. So, uh, when I was in high school, I had the opportunity at the church that I grew up in, uh, my youth pastor had started an orphanage over in India. And so he would take teams of people from our church to go over to India to experience the missions work that was over there. And so uh, for two trips when I was in high school, when I was 15 and then when I was 18, I got to partner with them and go to India. And uh, when I was 15, that was my first trip outside of the country. And so I had grown up in Southern California, and aside, besides 
you know, those little trips of day trips down to Mexico, I hadn't experienced other parts of the world. And so I went with him when I was 15 over to India. And it was an amazing opportunity, a great experience. Profound work of the gospel was going on all around me. And yet one of the things that I remember most intensely from that trip were, was monkeys. Anybody ever spent time around monkeys? Nobody? Camille, really? Okay, I need to hear that story. But one of the things, I didn't know anything about monkeys except monkeys at the zoo. But in India, even in the cities, they're all over the place. And here's one thing that I learned about monkeys. They are sneaky little guys, and they will steal anything they can get their hands on, right? Think Aladdin and Abu, except not so friendly. They will just steal it. And so you go up to your hotel room, and you open your glass doors, and the treetops, if you're on the third floor or whatever it is, the treetops are up there, and you think, oh, how cute. All these monkeys are gathered in the tree to welcome me into my hotel room. And the reality is that they're not waiting to welcome you. They're hoping that when you leave, you leave the door open, and they're going to sneak into your room, and they will go through your stuff and steal your stuff. Because monkeys at their core are greedy little creatures. And I remember, actually, our superintendent, Matthew, uh, Matthew Cork, he's the lead pastor up at Yorba Linda Friends. And I was listening to him because he does a lot of missions work over in India, too. And he taught me something about monkeys that I didn't know about. And it was how people in India trap monkeys because they eat monkeys, right? I wouldn't recommend it, but they do that. And the way he was saying that they trap monkeys is not very complicated. In fact, he just taught on this a few weeks ago as I was watching one of his sermons, and this is where I learned it. What they do is they take a coconut and they open up a hole in the coconut just big enough for the monkey to get their paw into, and on the other end is a long string. And so the trappers know that monkeys are so greedy that all you have to do is put a little treat inside that coconut, whatever they want, whatever a monkey would go after, and the monkey will crawl over to it and he'll put his paw in there and he'll grab onto the treat. But the thing is that when he closes his paw, it won't fit out of the hole in the coconut. And so the trappers know all you have to do is put a little treat in there, the monkey will grab it, and they just pull the rope in and they've got their prey. Now, here's the interesting thing that Matthew was sharing. All the monkey has to do is just let go of the treat, and they can get their hand right out of the coconut. And yet, they're so greedy, they refuse to let go of the treat, even as they're dragged back towards the trapper. And so, man, when he was telling that story, it just stuck out to me so profoundly for what we're going to be looking at this morning, is that we might look at that and think that the monkey is stupid for not letting go of the treat, even though the monkey knows it's being dragged to its doom. And yet, just like Jesus is going to teach us in his word this morning, man, you and I have a heart condition where we, in our greed, we grab onto things, and we know they're detrimental to us. We know that they lead us to death, and yet you and I, just like those monkeys in the coconuts, we refuse to let go in our own greed. And so my prayer is this morning that as we engage with God in his word, that you and I would do some heart searching with the Lord, that he would, that he would lead us into a conversation about how you and I struggle with greed. And, and greed is a thing not just for the wealthy, it's a condition that affects all of us. No matter how much you have or how much you make, we are all prone to greed. And so my prayer is that we would be invited by Jesus to make that trade, that we would abandon, we would let go of those things that are so detrimental for our souls that we might be, as Jesus calls us in the passage, instead we would be rich toward God. 
And so that's my prayer for us this morning. And so that's my prayer for you as we sit before the Lord's word. And so let's look at the text. Now in verse 13, Jesus has just finished giving a set of teachings in Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. And in this set of teaching, he's going through and he's encouraging this massive crowd of people. And he's telling them this, do not deny my father when the time comes. Stand firm when you're challenged. Do not abandon my father. And then in verse 6 through 7, he gives a little bit of encouragement to them about, hey, here's why you should remain faithful to the father. The father loves you and knows you and cares for you so intimately. And he has this deep and profound love for you, so much so, it says in verse 7, that he knows the very number of hairs on your head, right? And so for some of us, I guess that's become a little easier for God to keep count of. And yet, God knows us so well. He has such intimate love and concern and care for us that every detail about who you are, he knows it. And so Jesus gives this beautiful teaching about God's love and his care and his concern and how he calls you to stand firm for him in that. Beautiful set of teaching. And then verse 13, in the midst of this, someone in the crowd, some guy, stands up and says, teacher, tell my brother to give me my money. And Jesus, you got to, I mean, uh, Jesus keeps a, a good face on, but you got to imagine, man, this dude is missing the point. This beautiful teaching about how God loves you and you are valuable to him and he will care for your needs. And then this one guy in the crowd just yells out, teacher, tell my brother to give me what's mine. And then Jesus engages with this guy. Now, here's the thing. Jesus does not care about his inheritance. Now, in that culture, the way that it worked is when the the father died, the property, the money, the wealth, everything went to the oldest son. And then that oldest son was allowed to keep two-thirds of the property for himself, and then the rest of the one-third, it got divvied out to the other brothers in line. So where are my older siblings here? You greedy little monkeys, all of you. Where are my younger siblings? I'm a younger sibling. Where are we at? Yes, you righteous suffering servants, you. We're victims, right? And that's what this guy is. He's probably the younger brother who's been burned. Maybe his older brother, dad's dead, and now the older brother is hanging on to the money. And the younger brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, do something about this. I want my money. Tell my brother teacher to you weigh in on this matter and so that I can get what's mine. And, and when Jesus engages with this guy's request, you notice what he does is he just bypasses the issue of the money altogether. He kind of brushes it off with that response of, man, who made me an arbiter among you? When did, Jesus, when did I become small claims court where you and your brother bring to me your bickering about money? You notice what Jesus does is he sets aside the issue of money, but he engages with the man on the real issue that's being brought forward. And the real issue is not the external thing. It's not the wealth. It's not the money. It's the heart behind it. And at the root of that heart is greed. And that's what Jesus does business with through this parable. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the thing that most American Christians hate to talk about in church. We're going to talk about how we handle our money. And, and, and that's a conversation for you and Jesus to have 
about what you're doing with everything that he has so generously entrusted to you. That's where you and he are going to have that conversation. And my prayer is that as we engage with him in his word, that that's just going to speak to wherever you're at. But the issue that Jesus really wants to get at is not just the money. See, the money will get solved. The way you handle, the way you and I handle our money, that will be resolved as soon as we deal with the heart behind it. As soon as you and I are able to deal with the greed that exists in our hearts, all of a sudden, the way we handle our money settles and resolves itself. We become generous people, as God has called us to be, when we first deal with the heart behind the external. And so that's what Jesus steps into. And, and in the American church, we hate talking about money. Right? We don't want anybody to be involved with how we handle our money, what we do with our money. And so we try and draw lines where, man, at church, I'm totally okay. Let's talk about spiritual things. Let's talk about loving our neighbor. Let's talk about being kind to those in need. Talk about all these fruits of the Spirit. I don't care, but let's not talk about money because my money is my business. And, and, and churches are just after my money. Pastors just want my money. And the issue here is it's not about the money. It's always for God. It's about the heart behind it. And that's why we talk about it. And the interesting thing is whenever Jesus talks about discipleship, right, he's called the church to go and to make disciples who are going to be faithful to Jesus and who are going to learn to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, and all their strength. That's the call of the church. And so in doing that, to be faithful in that, anything that gets in the way we're going to expose it to Scripture, no matter what it is. We're going to bring it out in the middle of all of us and say, this is what we struggle with. This is what God teaches about it. Now, how are we as God's people going to respond in light of it, no matter what the issue is? And so you and I might like to stay in safer realms, and yet here's the interesting thing. When you look at Jesus' teachings in the gospel, the thing that he talks the most about, the thing that he warns us that threatens our discipleship more than anything else more than sexual immorality, more than vices, more than uh, abuse, more than alcohol, more than violence, all of those things he teaches on them. But what does he teach the most about to his people? Money. Because he knows our hearts. And so you and I, man, in faithfulness to Jesus' teachings, we're going to talk about this morning. It's going to sit in the middle of the room, and my prayer is that each of us are going to respond to the ways that the Lord is teaching us to be disciples of his. And that's a tough conversation. We don't like having it. But man, my prayer is that we be liberated from greed to be free to be generous people as God has been so generous to us. And that's my prayer this morning. And so Jesus says, let's look at verse 15. So he kind of brushes off the money question, who made me an arbiter amongst you? And then he said to them, he talks to these people in the crowd and he says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. And he tells his people, you have got to be actively on guard against greed because greed will creep its way into our hearts. And if you want to see how quick that happens, watch what happens when you make a little bit of money. And watch what money does to our souls. Now, here's the thing. Jesus never condemns being wealthy Right? That, that is not the gospel. He doesn't say it's evil and wicked to be rich. But what he's going to warn us from the text is this. Foolish is the person who would be wealthy, would be rich, and yet not be rich towards God. 
Foolish is the person who would build a life of wealth, and then in the end, the one thing that matters, being rich toward God, you're bankrupt there. And when the day comes, you be wealthy and leave it all behind and be bankrupt towards God. And greed is what causes us to focus on one to the neglect of the other. And so he says in verse 15, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Greed is that desire that you and I have for more. And greed is something, it doesn't just come to the wealthy, right? It's not just about rich people wanting more. But even in our poverty, you may not think that you make a whole lot of money, and you truly might not make a whole lot of money. And yet you are just as prone to greed as the millionaires that walk amongst us. Well, maybe not in this church, but you see him out there. We're all prone to greed. For us, maybe it's not competition, but for those of us who might struggle with money, it's, man, I need to get more of it because what I have is not enough. And so I need to make more. I need to have more so I can get more. Greed is not a wealthy person condition. It's an every person condition. It just manifests itself in different ways and in different heart sets and in different motivations. And so Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against greed, all the various forms of greed. I started working on the sermon last week. I was processing through it and reading it and taking some notes. And then this past Monday, Taylor and I and the kids, we met with another family uh, with some kids, uh, some friends of ours, and we went to the park. Now, uh, our friends, they live over in Los Alamitos. And so we decided that we were going to go over to some parks in Rossmore, right? If you know Rossmore, it's kind of a wealthy neighborhood, Right? All the homes in Rossmore are million-dollar homes. And so uh, we trick-or-treat with that family there every year because they give out the good stuff. <laughs> and we go to the parks over there because they have nice parks. And so we're going there, and the parks are scattered all throughout Rossmore. And so we're bouncing from park to park. And even as I'm working on this message, and even as the Lord, I've already read the passage, I've already been processing through greed in my own heart. And then on Monday, we're driving through Rossmore, and man, I cannot tell you, I just kept looking at all these nice houses we drove through. And in my heart, I was like, man, I really want something like that. Can I just be real? I really want to live in a nice neighborhood with a nice house that looks brand new and remodeled. And I would pass houses that were under construction to get brand new facelifts on them. And I'm like, man. And in my own soul, I had the conversation with God. God, when am I going to get mine? Can we be real? Like, I want that. And then I started to have questions and processing with God of, why don't I have that? I love you. I serve you. When am I going to get that? So much so that even Taylor and I had a conversation in the middle of Rossmore as we're driving to the park and I just kind of was talking to her about it. I was like, you know, sometimes I get resentful a little bit because I feel like I have enough talent and intellect where I could have succeeded in a lot of career fields. And I chose one that's not all too lucrative, in case you didn't know. And I'm glad I love my job, and yet there's still a part of my heart that wrestles when I see those nice houses. And I'm like, to be real, I'm never going to be able to afford a house in Rossmore. And I resent that. And then in my heart, I start to feel that pull of, God, I want that thing. Watch out. Be on guard against greed in all of its various forms. You and I see those things that we want, 
and we don't have them. And then all of a sudden we start to talk and it becomes complaining to God about, God, why don't I have this? Why don't I have that family? Why don't I have that relationship? Why don't I have that bank account? And Jesus knows the heart of all of us as exhibited in the question of this man. And he says, watch out, be on guard. This stuff creeps in no matter how good you think you are. You can be writing a sermon about greed and still be thinking, man, I want that house. Watch out, be on guard against greed in all of its forms. And there's manifestations of greed. It looks different in all of our lives. And yet at the root of greed is always a question. It's the same question. It's the decision, am I going to believe the lie of greed or am I going to trust in the way of Jesus? At the core, every issue of greed is that. Will I believe this lie or will I live the way of Jesus? And Scripture is very clear. I cannot, you and I cannot pursue his kingdom while pursuing our own greed. It will never happen, American Christians. It simply won't. Because my heart can't be fixed on a house in Rossmore and fixed on doing what Jesus is calling me to do. I can't do it. Watch out, be on guard against greed in all of its forms. And so one of the ways that the Lord has given us to be his disciples is he's given us the disciplines, right? They're training tools to help us become the people he desires us to be. We practice Sabbath. It's, it's rest from work so that I can engage with God in his presence in, in restful worship. I say no to working all the time so that I can trust that even when I don't work, God is still at work and I'm free to worship. We we discipline ourselves through prayer to teach us to listen to the voice of God, to teach us to depend on him in reliance. We, We discipline ourselves in studying and reading the word that we might be transformed first in our minds and then in our actions. All of these are good disciplines. And one of the disciplines that we practice and we affirm at our church and as followers of Jesus is we affirm the discipline of giving because we discipline ourselves to reject the lie of greed. When my greed and your greed is in the back of our head telling us, you need a little bit more, Ryan. You need some bigger barns than what you've got. And that narrative is playing in the back of our minds. And the discipline of giving breaks us of that. And it says, I don't need to get more. I trust in the Lord to be my provider. He's given me all things. And I respond with the discipline of giving. And to be real, I've spent enough time in the church. And I've wrestled with these questions myself as a follower of Jesus. And I know what these narratives look like when we as God's people are in those seasons of not enough. Right? You don't need to raise your hand. But I know a lot of us are in seasons of there don't seem to be enough. And then we come to passages like this, and Jesus wants to know, how are you living generously? How are you rejecting the temptation of greed? How are you disciplining yourself to become like me? And I hear this all the time in our churches, and it's a plague of my own soul too where I look at how much I've got. And to be real, Taylor and I are in a season where we're living paycheck to paycheck, right? We're not going to raise hands and tell stories. But we're in a season right now of living paycheck to paycheck. Can I get an amen that it's the second of the month on a weekend, right? First Monday is a third, baby. Praise the Lord. And in those seasons when we live paycheck to paycheck, 
There doesn't seem to be enough to spread around. And here's what I hear in my own soul, and I hear all the time in American church, is, man, God, I want to be generous, but I don't have enough. And so after I pay all my bills, all my responsibilities, then I'll consider what I've got left to be generous with. And we live with that mentality that that Jesus is at the last in line to get anything that we have. Now, here's the thing. You notice Jesus doesn't care about your money? Do you think Jesus really needs cash? What he wants is people whose hearts trust him with everything he's given them. And so often, you and I, in a, with a scarcity mindset, when we live check to check, let's be real, it's, okay, God, you're kind of at the bottom of the list right now. And if I have enough, then I'll, I'll live generously and I'll live out the practice of giving. And then we never get out of that. And the reality that you and I, I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings because I'm, I'm in that boat too. God will never bless our greed. He will never do it. And if we can't learn to do that when we have little, how on earth are we going to expect God to trust us with anything more? And so we live that all the time. God, if I've got it this month, then I'll see what I can do. And at the core, you might think that that's trying to, trying to be a sincere follower of Jesus. At the core, it's greed. It's, Lord, I don't trust you enough. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. This one actually popped up in a devotional of mine this week, and it kind of smacked me in the face because I'm living in that season. As Taylor and I are in that season of living check to check, and we've met with a financial counselor, and he's been really helpful from our denomination to help us learn how to be good stewards of our money. And so in that budgeting process, as we've talked about how she and I are going to handle our money in a God-honoring way that we can both live generously now while also being faithful to pay down our student loan debt, all right, let's talk about sin right there. And we look at that, and one of the convictions is, man, God can't be my last payout. I'm communicating something to him. That after the government gets their money, after Netflix gets theirs, Knots gets theirs, the gym gets theirs, and on and on and on and on and on and on, and down at the bottom. All right, Jesus, let's see what I got left this month to be generous with. And we get stuck in that mindset. And then I was reading my devotionals, and this popped up, and it smacked me in the face, as God's word so lovingly does sometimes. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. Right now, you got to remember, this is written to an agrarian society. I don't have barns and I don't have vats, but I do have a checking account. And what this is saying is, man, the first fruits, before the government gets their cut, before Netflix gets their subscription, before the gym gets their monthly dues, before all of that, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to trust you with what I've got. And let's be real. Maybe this month, it ain't a whole lot. But Lord, you get my first fruits. First to you. And then I live in a trusting mindset that as your child, as someone who you know how many hairs are on my head, and you have such loving concern for me, I'm going to trust you in the middle of that. And here's one of the cool things, that as, as the pastor of our church, I also have the responsibility to, to budget our church. 
And I see, and one of the things that just inspires me and my own faithfulness to Jesus is I see that there, I know there are many families in our church that struggle to make ends meet, right? I'm not the only one praising Jesus at the Sunday on the second. I know that. And yet I see how sacrificially so many of you sacrifice and give, and you trust God with your first fruits. And I praise God for you. Not because I do the budget at the church, right? God's kept the doors open for 130 years. But I praise God because I see faithfulness in his people, and that inspires me to do the same. And Proverbs is clear. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And you notice here, look at verse 10. For so many of us, we tell, we negotiate with God all the time. We do it. God, when my barns are a little bit bigger, then I can consider being who you are calling me to be. When my barns get bigger. But look at verse 10. Well, actually, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him the first fruits. And then look at verse 10. What's the first word in verse 10? Then your barns will be filled. There's a sequence there. And it's this, I trust God with what I've got, and then I trust him to fill my barn or my bank account. And so many of us live exactly the opposite as our greed would convince us. When he fills my barns, then I can trust him. And we live with that mindset, and then we wonder, why is God not being generous to me? And you guys, we've got to beg the question of ourselves, am I being generous to him? And scripture is clear. It's that way, not the other. Lord, I trust you with my first fruits of whatever I've got right now. I'm going to be generous with it. Because it's not about the money. It's about the heart. Jesus can give me money. And I trust that he's going to provide for tomorrow. He wants to know about my heart. Do I trust him with what I've got today? And that's why he says, be on guard. Watch out for greed in all of its various forms so man, my prayer is this for, for us as we head out our own ways today. My prayer is that whether you're married and budget with your spouse or whether you're single, widow, divorce, whatever it is, man, my prayer is that each of us would just sit with Proverbs this week. It's not my business. I'm not going to do your budgeting for you. I, I got mine to do. I got my heart to be faithful with the Lord. But my prayer is that all of us would sit with the reality of Proverbs 3 and just ask ourselves the question, Lord, am I being generous to you? And this isn't about cutting checks to church, right? That's a part of what we believe at our church. It means to be generous to God. That's not all of it. Lord, am I free to be generous to those that have need around me? Or am I so fixated on getting mine and protecting mine and building my bigger barns that I can't meet the needs of those around me too. So my prayer is as God's people are guarding our friends that we would sit with Proverbs 3 this week. And the question, or rather the, the statement is this, God will never bless our greed, ever. And we cannot afford to fool ourselves into thinking that. And don't mistake abundance for blessing. The guy in the parable, Luke 12, he had abundance. Is he being presented as the blessed one here? No, he's not. He had abundance and yet not blessing. We look back at, go to Exodus chapter 16. We love the Israelites. They give us so many good examples. I'm appreciative for them. Exodus 16, they've just 
walked through the Red Sea. They've seen this miraculous work of God as they crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was crushed and destroyed. Now they're on the other side of the Red Sea in the desert. And they're like, okay, God, what's the game plan? How are we going to go forward? It's like, hey, all right, just, let's, just, let's just follow me into this desert. Okay. I'm hungry. There's not much food in the desert, God. Where are we going? How are you going to provide for me? I love Israel. They speak for me. God, how are you going to provide for me? Because I just, I just see the desert ahead. And they start to grumble. And then here's how God responds. Exodus 16. Verse 13 through 20, it says this. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is this? For they didn't know what it was. Now Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat, and this is what the Lord has commanded you. Everyone's to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell And so Moses was angry with them. So they go into the wilderness. They enter into the desert, and they're like, God, how are you going to provide for us? And God, for reasons only God knows, he decides, hey, at night I'm going to make it like rain chicken dinners on you, and in the morning bread's going to just be on the ground. And here's what I want you to do. Gather up just what you need for that day. Just what you need for that day. Maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little, but whatever it is, gather what you need for that day. Don't keep it until tomorrow, though. you got to ask yourself, God, why? He does this for 40 years. 40 years he feeds his people in the desert day by day by day, and he says, don't store it up for tomorrow. And you got to ask yourself, God, why? Because every day he's teaching his people something. I'm the one who provides for today, me. And you've got to trust me for tomorrow. I could give you stockpiles of food for the entire journey through the wilderness. And yet God says, take what you need for today. And then you trust me for tomorrow. Because he's teaching his people something. Is it about quail and is it about bread? No, it's not. And it's not about money either. Could God give you enough to retire tomorrow? He sure could. Is he going to? Sorry, that's a different sermon. He's probably not. Because he's teaching his people something about their heart. Trust me for today and trust me for tomorrow too. And even though you don't know what tomorrow has... Trust me by being generous today. And that's why he fed them day by day for 40 years. They had to trust him for that. When I was uh, in 2014, I did my deployment. I transitioned off my church salary, and I got my officer salary. And when I was overseas, I made three times as much as I make at the church. And it was tax-free money. 
Man, that was a good season, despite being over there. That was a good season for our family. And you know what I noticed about my soul in that season where I, can you just imagine that tomorrow you triple your income and don't pay taxes? Play with those numbers for a second. Here's what happened in my heart. It became a lot easier to be generous during that time for me. Taylor would talk to me about, as we would Skype, she would talk to me and she'd be like, hey, you know, there's this need. And, I, and I'd be like, yeah, no, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's use some of this excess money that we're getting and let's go meet that need. And man, it was so much easier to be generous when the barns were bigger. And then I came home, and as I came home, the old pastor told me not, not just was I going back to my old salary, but I was getting a pay cut too. How generous do you think I was in that season? No, 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 I can't. I can't because I don't make enough. It's not like that other season where I had extra. My barns were bigger then. Now the barns are a little bit smaller, and I can't be generous. I've got I've to store up what's mine. I'm like the Israelites who are out there sneaky-peating and gathering a little extra for tomorrow. Why? Because I don't trust that God's going to meet me tomorrow. So I better be greedy today just in case God doesn't provide tomorrow. And the lie of greed is this. I choose greed over choosing to trust in God's promises. And every time I try and store up for myself and I reject generosity, I'm saying, God, I don't trust you that you're going to be there tomorrow. So I'm going to, I'm going to save up today. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with saving money. But there's a difference between saving money and being generous with money. And I think your heart knows the difference too. And the story continues. Verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day of the week, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow's to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever's left, and keep it until morning, right? So the sixth day is different. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, right, Israel, my people, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why in the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. And so the second invitation from God to Israel was this. On the sixth day, gather a double portion. Why? Because on the seventh day you rest on Sabbath and you worship me. And so many of us are just like the Israelites cool, I, I can save, but you know what? I can make a little extra if I work a little bit more, right? That's like the American plague. We will work ourselves to death to get just a little bit more, and we will sacrifice anything to make just a little bit more. And we see this all the time in the way that we follow after Jesus. You know, I could make, make extra money if I worked on Sunday, this is one of the things that we wrestle with with our, our college students is they've now got jobs and they tell themselves, man, if I work an extra day, I can make more money. So maybe I don't need to be a part of community. 
like God calls me to be. And just like Israel, here's what happens though. We go out and you may work and you may make that money. You may get a little extra on that paycheck because you sacrificed worshiping. You sacrificed being with God's people. But just like Israel, you're going to go out there and find that there's nothing on the ground. In your greed, you go out to get more and you sacrifice what God calls you to invest in. And you say, no, I'm going to sacrifice that to go and get me a little bit more. And you might get it, and yet, here's the reality, God is not going to bless our greed. So you can sacrifice living in community. You can sacrifice coming into the presence of God in rest and in worship to make a little bit more. God never blesses our greed, and God never blesses our messed up priorities. He will not do it. And the invitation for us is the same, to prioritize. And so we close by looking back at Luke 12. Our brother in the parable, he says, man, my barns are big. And he asks the question in verse 17. It's a good question. He thought to himself, what should I do? It's a good question to ask when you have lots of extra. He's asking the right question, and unfortunately, he comes up with a horrendous answer to that good question. Man, what do I do with what I've got? What should I do? And one of the things that uh, I liked that Matthew pointed out in the sermon that he preached on this passage a little while ago was, you notice that he asks himself the question. And maybe you can relate. When you keep your own counsel, you give yourself permission to behave in ways that other people and Scripture would not allow you to do. What should I do? I'll tell you what I want to do. Why? Because we love telling ourselves to do what we want to do. We're great at it. We give ourselves permission to do things that we know we ought not to do. And the man asked the right question to the wrong person. What should I do? And he comes up with a wonderful answer. Let's be greedy. Like so many of us would answer that question. And so my prayer is that we would not ask ourselves that question, but we would look to Scripture and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Whether you've got big barns or whether you've got no barns, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How do I be faithful now with whatever I've got? How do I be on guard against greed in my life so that I can live generously towards you? And then he closes the parable in verse 21. And this is the whole message right there. This is the warning Jesus gives. And he says, this is how it's going to be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Man, you can invest and get rich in all the wrong places. And if you're not rich toward God, you've missed the whole point. And then after the parable, Jesus goes on to another set of teaching. And in verse 32 through 34 is where he teaches, hey, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not ever fail, where no thief comes nor no moth destroys. And here's the famous passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is making an assumption that because God has given you the kingdom, the way you handle your money is going to be different. And the sad reality is for so many of us, we've been given the kingdom and we handle our money just the same. Jesus assumes that because you have the kingdom, you can give it away. And you and I, because of the lies of greed, tell ourselves, I've got the kingdom, but I also want my barns too. 
and we miss out. And Jesus, the whole point of it, verse 34, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And Jesus brings it right back to the heart. Does Jesus care where the money's at? No. He cares where the heart is at with it. And he wants his people to have his heart be where he desires it to be, which is rich toward him. And we can't do that when we believe the lies of greed. And just like the monkeys at the beginning, until you and I learn to let go of that greed, we're missing out on the kingdom life that he's inviting us into. I cannot guarantee you that that kingdom life is going to be a life with a bigger bank account. It's probably, it might not be. But it is a life of being rich toward God. And that's the direction that I would challenge us this morning. And so as we close, here's what I want to leave us with. Some practical stuff. Man, if, again, if you're married, my prayer is that you and your spouse would talk about money this week. Maybe do it at a right time because money can be a contentious issue for married couples to talk about. But talk to your spouse. Hey, how do we handle our money? Let's look at Proverbs 3. Are we, are we living the scriptures? Maybe you are. And it's, praise God. Let's keep doing it. Let's agree to keep this a priority. Or maybe you're not, and you need to have a conversation about, man, we've each given ourselves permission to be disobedient to the scriptures in the name of fill in the blank. And if you're a single believer, man, you're accountable to yourself in your budgeting. And I pray again that you would also sit with the scriptures and say, now in my singleness, now in this stage of life with what I have, am I being faithful to the scriptures? And if you are, praise God. Keep doing it and bring that into the marriage that you have or will have. Or keep doing it as a single person. Whatever it is, man, my prayer is you'd sit with scripture and say, what are we going to do about this? that we would build in generosity, that we would reject the lie of greed, that we might live and show where our treasure is because that's where our heart's going to be too. Would you pray with me?